This Brewery Pro episode of BrewCon Replay is proudly presented by the Independent Brewers Association. Do you want to tap into the potential of your brewery? Then don't miss BrewCon 2023, where you will hear from a range of presenters, see new resources, share an up-to-date research and more. Purchase your BrewCon 2023 tickets today at iba.org.au. My name is Topher Bain. I am the brewer, um, owner, kind of co-owner um, of a brewery in Sydney called Wildflower Brewing and Blending, where we focus most particularly on mixed culture um, beer, mixed culture barrel-aged beer. And I wanted to, oh, I've got to use my clicker. I wanted to uh, speak today, and I put forward um, to the board to speak today about working with fruit. And definitely uh, through my lens and what I do and what I focus on, we'll probably talk I'll focus on and speak uh, a fair amount about mixed culture fermentation, whole fruit maceration, um, and uh, aging probably more through the mixed culture lens. Um, however, one of the main things I wanted to um, talk about with, with my presentation, and one of the reasons I wanted to put this forward, is that I'm starting to see um, a lot of beers with fruit um, enter the market, and it's happening uh, really, really rapidly, and I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think fruit is a really great uh, vein between um, paddock and, and pint. It's great for the customer to, and the brewers at least, to understand the agricultural origins of, of the beer. It's really tangible with fruit. Um, and uh, so I think it's a great thing. Um, however, uh, there's a huge amount of clean beer um, that's being made, and, and I've certainly done it in the past at, at, at different clean breweries, um, whereby we're adding non-aseptic uh, fruit and non-aseptic techniques to doing it um, and uh, waiting for stable gravity and uh, crashing and packaging that beer, um, with certainly with regard to, to micro issues, but. Um, uh, not necessarily always pasteurizing. And, and while this hasn't been an issue, and I don't think we've seen too many recalls of, of beers with fruit in them, um, I do think as some, some of our breweries grow and some our distribution um, gets a little bit wider, our uh, storage capabilities of those distributors aren't as cold, let's say, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some issues. So I'm not here to tell you the best practice, uh, specifically when it comes to clean beer. The best practice that I have up there is probably more of mixed culture, uh, but um, I am here to, to talk about uh, some methods that are being used with varying levels of success, um, specifically with clean beer. So if you are going to be adding fruit to beer, hopefully what I can present to you today is um, just some techniques that you might be able to work through that you could um, potentially use uh, and sort of hopefully mitigate um, the issues that you may have. So I'm going to start um, the presentation first by talking about fruit selection, the types of fruit that, we, that you can get and the um, quality or, or sta state that they're in when, when we receive them. Um, secondly is handling, how you need to process that fruit depending on how you selected your fruit before you put it into beer. Refermentation, that's probably the bulk of the, of the presentation where we talk about um, what type of beer, how long, um, and how physically you're, you're adding uh, the fruit to the beer. And then just a little bit about best practice, what I sort of um, see, uh, at least for mixed culture beer, what we've seen the best results. This photo is me standing in a 1,500 liter variable capacity tank on 1,000 kilos of cherries um, after a four-month re-fermentation. We'll talk about this beer a little bit further. 
Okay, sourcing and selection. Um, this is a much prettier photo of de-stem cherries the, uh, the year previously. We received a whole lot less of them, so I was able to de-stem them. Um, but anyway, uh, sourcing and selection. So generally most of the fruit that we can receive um, in, in uh, the brewing industry, I see is either in, in any of these categories. Um, you can get frozen fruit. Uh, and those come in both purees and what, what I what we call IQF, individually quick frozen. And IQF is what you see um, in uh, in supermarkets. Um, aseptic puree. There's a company um, that I was alerted to by the guys at Hop Nations called Hop Nation, sorry, um, Tropico up in Queensland that's selling um, aseptic room temperature puree. They use this for their um, mango goes. I'm pretty sure, Sam. Um, and it's added directly to fermenter um, at the end of primary fermentation, allowed to stabilize um, uh, with gravity before um, crashing uh, carbonation and packaging. Um, I think this is a really good option, and we'll come back to this a number of times. And then the last thing would be fresh fruit. Fresh fruit is probably ideal, I'd say, for uh, specifically mixed culture beer, things that you have a bit of time. If you're doing, if you're making clean beer, fresh fruit, you, you need to understand that it's teeming with micros. Um, so if you're not somehow pasteurizing your beer after or doing some sort of mitigation process on the fruit before you add it to your beer, um, that will be uh, potentially an issue. Fresh fruit, you can definitely go get it from the market. Uh, most capital cities have some sort of fruit market located near them. Um, however, I think the best uh, technique that I've found um, is picking up the phone looking on Google, searching for orchards, and finding a farmer um, that you can go get your fruit from. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but at this stage, it's just good to say that the joy you can bring to someone by, by returning a product from their farm um, back to them is pretty immeasurable, and I think that's one of the most satisfying things about um, making fruit directly with farmers. Handling. Um, handling your fruit generally uh, uh, is is uh, determined by the source of your fruit when it comes in. Um, so if you're um, if you're uh, receiving aseptic uh, fruit puree and it's already bagged and blended, then it's pretty easy to handling. You don't really need to do very much. Um, but this is just a consideration uh, that you need to think about when you're sourcing your fruit. So the first of them would be thawing. Um, if you're receiving frozen IQF fruit or frozen uh, purees, um, you're going to need to uh, allow that to warm up a little bit before you add it to your beer for fear of dropping the, ter the temperature of your beer too much and stalling out fermentation. Um, Nick at One Drop Brewing, which is a new brewery in um, in uh, Botany in New South Wales and in Sydney um, is doing something interesting where he's he's getting uh, fruit purees or IQF fruit. Um, he's uh, he's allowing it to thaw in his cool room overnight to about five degrees. Um, it, it gets up to about five degrees in there. He then takes it with an immersion blender, blends it. If it's IQF, if it's a puree, he'll add it directly to his fermenters at about. 60 to 70 percent attenuation. So while the beer is fermenting, um, you have a strong monoculture fermentation there. Um, uh, but what he sort of has seen is that the the, the temperature um, of the fermenting beer uh, helps warm up the fruit a little bit as it's going in, and that seems to be a, a quicker method for him to get frozen fruit into the beer without allowing it to thaw too much and risking more micro issues. Again, I mean. Um, the, the, the beers are clean and he hasn't seen an issue with it, but be aware that, that you are adding um, uh, potential microbial issues to your beer in that. Um, 
opposite of that would be freezing. If you're getting fresh fruit, um, particularly berries, it can be uh, a good method or a good idea to freeze your fruit, which uh, it increases the size inside of the cells and bursts some of the cell walls. So especially if the fruit's expensive or you don't want to use very much, um, or you, you don't have that much space to do a fruit fermentation, um, it can be handy to take fresh fruit and freeze it, um, which gives you more contact space. So I did this with some mulberries that I picked from uh, a tree down the road. Um, we also didn't have beer ready at the time. I didn't have a vessel ready at the time, so froze them, um, sort of backpack seal, froze them, and then thawed them out and used them later. Um, pasteurize or sanitize. These are pretty loose methods, um, I would say myself, uh, but I have no, do know of some people that are taking either fresh fruit or frozen fruit and heating them up in sort of small scale methods. You could kind of do some sort of flash pasteurization through your, through your heat exchanger if, if you wanted to, to do that um, of the actual juice before it goes into your fermenter. You could also think about doing something on like a kettle scale whereby you're heating it up and then injecting it. Um, they're just thoughts. Uh, that does change the quality of the fruit. It affects the, the flavor that you're going to get in the final beer, so just consider that. Um, exposing the inside. So this is probably more um, when it comes to mixed culture fermentation and fresh fruit whereby when you're receiving, let's say, a ton of apricots or peaches or something like that, um, if you were to add the beer uh, directly on top of those peaches without doing anything, it would take an extended period of time for the, the beer to uh, break the skin of that fruit and then do the, um, uh, do the refermentation. So it, it affects your, um, your, your, your uh, usability or whatever, your, your, um, how much you can get out of the fruit is affected by how broken up the fruit is. So generally, um, uh, a lot of people, especially with like watermelons or some sort of stone fruit, would be just slicing the fruit one or two times um, uh, and um, exposing the inside and then adding your beer to the fruit. Um, another thing that a lot of people do is destoning your fruit. Um, again, this is not only a method for um, exposing the interior of the fruit, um, but also uh, something that's important to think about um, because uh, lots of different fruits that we use in brewing, um, apricots, cherries, peaches, um, have um, HCN, hydrogen glycosides, in the form of um, cyanogenic glycosides, I think is the uh, term, hydrogen cyanide, sorry, from cyanogenic glycosides inside the seeds. And when broken up, um, they can uh, become soluble in the beer. Now, our, our bodies are, are able to um, uh, work with very small amounts of that. They're a natural um, thing occurring. Um, however, at really high levels and huge spikes, um, uh, HCN um, it, like ingress can, can cause um, severe illness and potentially death. So if you are uh, adding fruit to beer, it is something to, to keep in mind. Food Safety Australia New Zealand allows for one milligram per liter of, of HCN per um, percent alcohol. Um, as a, safe, as a safe level. And so um, this beer uh, that we made, which is 1,500 kilograms, sorry, 1,000 kilograms of cherries, um, was a beer that ended up yielding, uh, it was a cherry beer, it was fruited at 360 grams per liter of beer, a significant amount of cherries. Um, the orchard had a massive hailstorm, and so we received a lot more cherries than we thought. We were unable to both de-stem them or de-pit them, um, and so I knew that I had to send this beer off for testing. The beer was 7.2% ABV, so Food Safety 
standards allows for 7.2 milligrams per liter. The testing came back after four months maceration of the beer with the fruit, the testing came back at 0.2 milligrams per liter. So it was 36 times underneath the um, allowed limit. Um, however, uh, and, and generally with beer, you would probably die of alcohol poisoning um, before you died of HCN ingress if you had severe amounts of fruit. But it is just something to, to, to mention. I mean, if you were taking uh, whole um, apricots and uh, putting them, like, uh, to totally pureeing them with the, um, with the stone inside, um, you, you, you would have more contact of HCN. You'd have more ingress. So potentially, just if you're, if you're going to go a no-handling method, you're not going to de-stone and instead just do what this next one is, which is just gashing, um, just kind of slicing somewhere on the skin. Um, just keep that in mind and potentially and send your beer for testing. Gashing is what we're going to do next year because we're, we're receiving more fruit um, and also we're working closer with the farmers in terms of when the beer, oh, sorry, when the fruit is picked and how it's picked. And I want to get that fruit off the tree and into the beer as quickly as possible with least amount of intervention. Um, so we're going to be doing that next year, just um, uh, slicing the fruit and putting it into these tanks, putting the beer on top of it and doing re-fermentation. However, each of those beers will be sent for testing before we obviously package or release them. Um, De-stemming is another thing specific specifically with cherries and wine grapes. So with cherries, this, this um, beer that I mentioned before, we didn't get a chance to de-stem them because there were too many. It takes a significant amount of time. If you can get your orchard to do it, um, that's a great thing. And if they even charge you a little bit more, it's definitely worthwhile paying. Um, we didn't do it with this beer, took the risk. Um, you get a really kind of digestive fernet uh, character. Some people definitely got some feedback that they didn't like that character. I kind of liked it at a different, at a small level. Um, we'll, we might look to next year de-stem a part of the cherries and leave some there. Also with wine grapes, if you're working with re-fermentation with wine grapes, uh, the de-stemming of the grapes, um, uh, you'd get a sort of a cleaner sort of uh, wine grape fermentation. If you keep the stems on, it depends on the character of the stems. If the stems have gone through ligature and they're a bit woody, you're going to get more of a spice, a pepper. Um, whereas if they're still green, you're going to get more some of those green um, characteristics. Okay. Refermentation. Okay, so now we're into the bulk of the uh, presentation. Um, what and, and, and when? So what type of beer and where is the beer at for um, those types of uh, fermentations? So obviously the place to start is when we're talking about clean beer, and that's both in kettle sours um, or, or uh, non-sort of mixed or non-sour clean beer. Kettle sour is definitely the most popular thing to be adding fruit to that I've seen. There were two beers in the hottest 100 pole last year that were um, two of the three beers that had fruit um, that, were, that were kettle sours. I think it works really well, obviously, marrying the acidity, the clean acidity with the flavors of the fruit. Um, also, I think one of the other reasons that this has potentially been um, the method of choice or the beer of choice for, for many people is they are low in alcohol. So the, the finishing gravity of those beers, regardless of the fruit, is actually quite low. So if micro issues did crop up, potentially they're uh, less bad than they would be um, in a beer that finished sweeter naturally. So I'm not sure, and I'd be interested to know some um, testing of people's um, uh, kettle sour beer that they're adding non-aseptic fruit to, but that will be seen. Um, 
clean beer, I, I did a quick Google of uh, fruit IPA um, or some, something like that, and I was pretty happy to see that most of the search results were from about 2016. So hope, hopefully maybe we've moved past that um, as an industry. Um, however, there's still a lot of good use, obviously, for um, citrus characters, citrus uh, in beers with, with citrus IPAs, fruit IPAs. Again, if you're going to be adding um, fruit to, uh, to clean beer, um, like uh, the Grifter does for their Serpent's Kiss or Watermelon Pilsner, um, you need to be uh, really, I think, very, very careful about when you add that and what state the fruit is in um, when it's added. For theirs, they add uh, an aseptic puree of watermelon juice to their um, beer, their lager, right at about diacetyl rest, allow that to stabilize um, from a gravity perspective for um, a few days to a week before crashing, separation of the fruit, and carbonation. Um, most, of the, most of the time when I hear about people using clean beer, it is generally in secondary. So when you're adding your fruit, allowing your primary fermentation to ride through and then putting in your fruit following. Um, however, I do know some friends that are adding fruit and their mash down and things like that, um, which is fun but possibly wasteful. Um, Age mixed culture beer is our preferred method when we're talking about mixed culture beer. This is barrel-aged, finished beer that we're ready to package otherwise. One of the reasons I like this is because you know what you're getting in your beer and you know what you're getting with your fruit. You can pair your barrels or your selection of mixed culture beer with the fruit um, as you receive it. Uh, it's, the issue with this is, is oxidation issues. You have a finished beer um, that then you're asking to re-ferment some fruit um, you need to be really, really careful about what vessel you choose um, because oxidation uh, can get in really quickly um, and ruin the flavor of the fruit um, as well as um, the, uh, as well as obviously having kind of acetic, acetic acid issues. Um, another thought with age mixed culture beer is at packaging, um, you need to be really, really careful when you're taking age mixed culture beer um, and re-fermenting it in bottle. That's seen time on fruit, especially lighter colored fresh, like uh, fleshy fruits. You'll see more oxidation in those. The color will brown um, as you go into bottle. So if you can um, have some sort of inert bottling process, even if you're uh, re-fermenting, it's a good idea. Young mixed culture beer, something we've done a, fit, a little bit of, more because uh, fruit's coming in and we don't have barrels ready. So we'll take beer that's been inoculated with our house culture, uh, maybe it's one, two weeks into fermentation. It's a full buggy ferment and then we'll put it onto the fruit. It's not our preferred method because there's so much time between when you add the fruit and when you actually end up going to packaging the beer. You, you do lose um, some of the fruit character, at least in our opinion. Um, but it's an interesting space and it's something we've been working um, a little bit on, specifically with wine grapes. And that leads me into Wirt, which uh, something that we've been, we, we have two projects ongoing where, whereby we're taking um, wine grapes. Uh, the photo here is me standing in a, in a tank of Greco de Tufo that spent nine months on skins um, at a friend of ours just out in Gippsland, um, Dane Johns from Memento Mori. Um, this is his wine uh, that we uh, took. We took, uh, so he destemmed nine months on skins, and then um, we took those uh, skins and put them into a sanitized IBC, sent them to our brewery, and I um, brewed work directly into that IBC. Astonishingly, even after nine months under wine, um, that, that beer kicked off uh, fermentation within a number of hours. 
Um, and it's yielded some really interesting results. Um, one thing I have learned um, with, with this and the other type of project we have going on with a, with a brewery in the States, um, whereby you're taking uh, whole wine grapes and allowing the whole wine grapes to start their own native fermentation and then brewing wort on top of them. One thing I have found is the wort uh, really needs to be designed for that instead of just being split off from a normal beer batch. Seems that bitterness is a bit more apparent when you're brewing or fermenting with um, non uh, beer, yeasts from other things. It's, it's a really interesting um, space and it's something we're going to work uh, a bit more at. Um, at packaging, this is one of the other reasons I wanted to give this talk was because I haven't seen any smoothie beers uh, done in Australia, which is a really, really great thing and I would love if we did it. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, you can Google it and you'll see photos of exploded cans all over the States. Um, these are brewers that are literally putting uh, unpasteurized fruit juice in their cans, or I've only seen it in cans, I don't know if they're doing it in bottles, um, at packaging and just allowing, asking the customer kindly to please keep the beer cold um, in their fridge so that it doesn't re-ferment and explode. Naturally, they don't, um, and you have a, a legal issue on your hands. So hopefully um, we won't see that happening, and I don't know why these beers are even being made in the first place. I think it's pretty irresponsible. Um, however, uh, let's, not, let's not see that. Hopefully we don't see anything at packaging. Okay. Vessel. I think this is probably one of the main um, considerations uh, of the whole uh, process is what vessel do you have, how much time can that fruit spend in contact with your beer, um, and uh, how much time can you tie up uh, certain vessels. Um, so this comes into whether you're, it, this influences what type of um, fruit you're sourcing uh, how, uh, and as, as well as what type of beer you're adding. Um, so, um, and the, the main issue, I think, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been privy to a number of uh, very long um, uh, clogged uh, transfers, and if you put your beer in, if you put your fruit, your beer on your fruit um, without a consideration of how you're going to get your beer off your fruit, um, which sometimes does happen, uh, you could be in for a very, very frustrating day. Um, so cylindroconical is probably the most common, um, obviously because that's the most common brewing vessel. I think they're great uh, when it comes to um, temperature control, um, oxidation issues, and adding the fruit can be pretty easy because most of the manways are sort of um, halfway up the tanks-ish, depends on how big your tanks are. Um, but getting the fruit out of cylindroconical tanks, especially if it's IQF or not pure, is a, is a fucking nightmare. Um, so if uh, a previous brewery I worked at, we would do this um, with IQF fruit, and um, the only way that we were able to uh, kind of consistently not lose like a huge amount of volume in the beer was by um, taking the racking arm, putting it fully up after crashing, and then um, moving the beer through an inline filter to, to bright, and then um, after that, removing the racking or depressurizing the vessel, removing the racking arm, and flooding from the bottom with water really slowly, and slowly allowing the fruit to flood out through that racking arm port. Um, I don't think it's a great idea. It was a massive waste of water, um, but uh, that is um, a real pain in the ass. Cylindroconical tanks also clog really easily because the outlets and inlets are usually pretty small, so not always ideal. Um, flat bottom stainless steel vessels, I'd argue, are slightly better, so things shape more like bright tanks. Um, that's because uh, sometimes in the, the sort of stock standard ones have doors at the bottom, so removing the fruit at the end can be a fair bit easier. Um, if you get a tank designed with this in mind, you can put a door at the top and make your life super simple. If you get something uh, designed beforehand and you can have some 
sort of screen or outlet on the side um, before the uh, comes out of the vessel, that would even be easier and easier. Um, but the other, the thing that I like about the flat bottom ones is you have more surface area for that fruit to fall onto, so you could potentially lose less um, less volume. They're also great again for temperature controls if, if they're if they're jacketed and um, oxidation. Um, flat. Uh, sorry, the IBCs um, are a cheap and readily available source for refermentation. Um, fruit refermentation, I think this is generally, I see this more often with mixed culture beer. Um, they're great because they're cheap, um, but they're not great for a lot of other reasons. Uh, it's really easy to pierce one, I can tell you that, when you're driving around on a forklift. Um, and it's not fun when you have all this beer that's taking you so much time to make that's just flooding out everywhere else. They're plastic, uh, the oxidation issues aren't great. Um, getting the beer out of them, the beer out of them is, is, is quite difficult, uh, and you need some sort of spear or some, some, some sort of um, winemaking, uh, like torpedo, I think they call them, to, to get in there to get the fruit out, because the outlets of the IBCs aren't great. Um, in barrel, uh, again, used a lot because they're available. People who are doing mixed culture aging have barrels on hand. Um, the bungs are tiny in barrels. It's really hard to get. I mean, I'll ask, I'll ask Will Thatchell how hard it is to get fruit out of barrels in and out. Tunk bungs are tiny, really difficult to get fruit in, really difficult to get the fruit out after the fermentation, and even harder, potentially, to get the beer out of the barrel after that. There is a brewery in the States that does do all their fruiting in barrel, um, the rare barrel in, in California, whereby they take uh, aseptic puree, put it, in to, to put it into a stainless steel blending tank, allow the bulk of the refermentation to happen in that blending tank, crash, um, and then rack off, like sort of loosely crash, rack off some of the more solid settlement of that puree into barrel and allow the beer to age there. The other issue with that is just massive um, oxidation issues, and that, that, that fruit will form a pretty thick cap on the top, which, which could increase um, acetic acid issues. Um, VC containers are what we use. This, this photo here is um, some uh, blackberries in the bottom of a 300-liter VC, but it was a good photo to show the little um, outlet that we had kind of um, put near the, um, the sort of little filter we had put near the, um, the end. Those are about half mil um, holes in that little uh, V sort of filter, um, and so it keeps the heavy sediment in, in, in the beer. And we, I mean, knock on wood, we haven't seen huge issues with this, even when we're using um, peaches for four or five months and they get totally um, macerated. Berries are probably the hardest, uh, so raspberries in this do, do clog slightly, um, but again, we're just gravity feeding from, from one tank to another. So if you were pumping, you could probably get a fair bit more out of it. VCs are great because they're pretty cheap. Um, depending on your size, you can generally get them for about a dollar a liter, um, thousand bucks for a thousand liter one. There's a big wide hole at the top to get the fruit in, and if you can, if you get them manufactured yourself, you can get a hole, uh, sort of a door at the bottom. This is a small 300 liter tank, so it doesn't have one. But the previous photos of me standing in them did show that that outlet at the bottom. So getting fruit out is is quite easy. Negatives of these is that the, um, the seal at the top of that floating lid isn't great. Um, during fruit season, when we have sort of up to 10 or 12 of these things going um, at the same time, we're checking uh, pressures on seals every single day and sometimes multiple times a day. Also, if you get a big fruit cap, so the fruit picking up a lot of CO2, rising to the top of the refermentation, it can blow out the top of the lid. Definitely see this happen pretty much once or twice every fruit season. But because of their price, we can dedicate fruit tanks, specific VCs to specific fruits to allow for extended periods of maceration. Um, you can put them on a pallet and move them around, they're great. 
Refermentation time and rate. Um, this, uh, I think when we're talking about clean beer, monoculture beer, um, this uh, um, generally revolves around um, how much insurance you like or how comfortable you are with putting out the beer. How many days, how many weeks do you want that beer to be a stable, um, stable uh, gravity before you crash and pack? Um, Minimum, I think the re-fermentation is generally done within a week. I think if you're using aseptic methods and aseptic puree, you can do that. Um, maximum three plus weeks. There's definitely a, a law of diminishing returns when it comes to monoculture um, time. Mixed culture, again, you're probably getting one week, but if you're using whole fruit, you want to see uh, more integration of the full uh, flavor of that fruit into the beer. We um, don't see a lot of pitted characters in our cherry beer until about four months, um, the beer on, on the cherries. I wouldn't say going over a year is going to do yourself any, any favors there either, um, but I could be proven wrong there. Rates, um, there's a really great Milk the Funk wiki on this, and I just threw in a really uh, token 150 grams to 300 grams per liter um, as a starting rate. That's pretty high, uh, especially when we're talking about um, uh, monoculture beer. Um, but the reason I, I like doing that is, is I like to uh, overfruit at the beginning for the re-fermentations, see what the re-fermentation needs at the end of it. Does it need more acid? Does it need more oak? Same thing applies for, um, for clean beer. Is it too tart? Does it need some more tartness? You can have another beer on hand to, to, to blend that fruit back to a rate. I think that, that is, um, is good for you. So yeah, uh, Milk the Funk Wiki is a great thing to search for that. Um, method separation. So the direct addition uh, is kind of just a, um, how are we getting the uh, fruit from the fruit that we've handled into the, into the beer. Um, I, I like to think about this kind of like Instagram test. Like if you're not comfortable showing your customer how you're adding the fruit to the beer, um, it might not be a clean enough method um, to, to, to do that. Um, people are warming up their frozen purees, like I said, in like their CIP set and sending it in. Um, uh, Keelan at Stone and Wood made their counterculture uh, Berlin of Ice beer by um, pumping on a diaphragm pump and uh, aseptic um, raspberry puree from 44 gallon drums into their tank and then recirking the tank to do it. Um, essentially, it's, it's, it's an issue of uh, what type of um, vessel you have, uh, what type of fruit you have, um, and the volume of, of both of those. Um, Punch downs are sort of a common method in the mixed culture world, whereby you're um, putting down, uh, punching down the cap of your fruit as it as it rises in order to keep that wet, uh, cap wet. Potentially, you get more fruit extraction from that, and you do um, mitigate some risks of acetic acid production. Our friends at um, Gesture King kind of uh, made this uh, common uh, across the beer industry. We don't practice it at the brewery. I don't think it's a great practice because you're getting into an active fermentation on the top, regardless of it being mixed culture and um, submerging potential uh, oxygen into that into that uh, beer. It's really common in the wine industry because you need a lot of oxygen to ferment 14. Well, I mean, if you're in the Barossa, it's a bit higher, but um, 12 to 14 percent um, alcohol um, fermentations. But I, I, I don't. We don't practice it, and I don't. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary. Um, carbonic maceration is a really interesting method um, whereby you're allowing um, native fermentations from the skins of the fruit, whether it be berries or cherries or um, 
or wine grapes to begin fermentations themselves inside of the berries themselves. So it's a Beaujolais uh, winemaking technique that um, we did on this gamay here um, in the photo. And what happens is uh, you take your fruit, you put it into a sealed vessel, you can inject a little bit of CO2 or just let it start naturally. The fermentation starts inside of the berry and, and potentially you get uh, more sort of crunchy, juicy, um, uh, fruitier um, flavors in, in your final beer. So we do it with all of our wine grapes. We do a three-week carbonic maceration before we add the, the mixed culture beer, um, which I think uh, gives you know, the, the Saccharomyces that's best um, going to ferment uh, the wine grapes a bit of a head start on the Saccharomyces and Britannomyces from our, from our mixed culture beer. Um, and, and I think you get, so we get a better fruit extraction from that, a fruit, better fruit flavor. Um, however, I know Grim um, Ales in New York is doing this with uh, berries as well, and that's been quite interesting. I haven't tasted that beer, but I think it's a cool space. Second use fruit is another real, really um, interesting space, and I haven't seen too much with this in clean beer, but a little bit cropping up with mixed culture beer. If you're if your fruit's really expensive and you want to get a bit more length out of it, um, after that primary fermentation, especially if you're doing some sort of concentrated fermentation, rack your beer off and move another beer in. We've been doing this with uh, some low alcohol beers on the second use fruit and probably getting um, less of that uh, bright fruit character and more of the, the flavor of, of the flesh. Um, I'm really, really enjoying the sort of subtle characteristics of that. So I think it's a really cool space. Um, separation comes into play when you're obviously picking your your um, your vessel, um, but uh, inline filters seem to work pretty well if you aren't using full fruit and if it's not going to get clogged, just trying to, trying to get out of there. I've seen some sort of really elaborate setups where beer's coming out of one vessel and going into two concurrent inline filters. That way, if one gets clogged, you can take it out, um, clean that while the transfer's still going, and put it back in. Um, it's up to you. Sort of the big, tall bag filters that just kind of stand on the ground, those I think probably seem to be the best. Uh, for us, with our little filter inside the VCs, we don't. Um, we just put an inline filter um, in, seeing the steel mesh as it goes through, and we've never seen a clog yet, so that's good. Um, best practice and results. So uh, I think overall, if you're adding fruit to beer, the thought is the, what, what we want to be doing is getting like a really true fruit flavor in that beer, um, highlighting the fruit specifically if it comes from um, an ethical or local source, um, and, uh, and, and cleanliness is amongst all of that. So again, that Instagram test, how am I putting the fruit into the beer? Is the beer um, stable microbially when I package it and send it um, across uh, to Perth from here? Um, is it going to explode on the, on the, the, the shelf? And again, uh, without um, pasteurizing uh, non-aseptic fruit, I'm not sure how you would do that. Maybe some people have um, techniques to do that. For us, the things that we've found um, that work the best are to use state-based fruit um, direct from the farm. Uh, because we're working with farmers, as I said before, we can, we can get a little bit more control about the picking time of that fruit and, and also the varietals um, that we're choosing. So this is our fourth year coming into to working directly with um, a couple different farmers, and we're getting closer to the types of fruit that we actually want to, to be picking. And it's not everything, we're not letting everything getting overly ripe on the tree before we pick it. Sometimes we actually are picking things a little bit younger um, for different beers. And so just that level of control um, that you can have while working with a farmer, as well as potentially saving some money by not going through a, um, a, a distributor at the markets, I think is, is pretty, um, pretty uh, like advantageous, specifically mixed culture beer. Um, this is some uh, black musket we picked in Orange, New South Wales this year. 
And that brings me on to my last slide, which is going back to that beginning part, which is that fruit and beer is this, is this connection, um, a really tangible connection for customers um, between uh, what's happening in the field and, and what's happening in their glass. And I think it's a good reminder for the customers that beer is an agricultural product. Um, but fruit, if you're adding it to a beer, is, is, is really only one of, uh, and there's one ingredient, and there's two main ingredients in beer, be it um, hops and, and, and barley, that um, we always use in all of our beers that can be a representation of agriculture. We just heard that 97 million million liters um, of independent beer was made last year. And, and um, I think if, if we can move um, our thinking as brewers um, towards uh, getting um, our barley, our hops, our fruit directly from, from farmers, we can have a little more control over the varietals that they're planting, the, the, the times that things are being picked. And in terms of the volume of the beer, we, we could, I mean, I don't have the numbers on me right now, but we can, if we're moving away from conventional farming and towards more regenerative sort of beyond organic practices, I think as an industry, we could um, greatly reduce the, the, the carbon emissions that we, that we have um, just by making our beer. So, if we can bring, um, I think, bring the focus back to the farm through the fruit, I think is a, is a good step. If we can bring the focus back to the farm, I think we're going to be able to make better beer because we're going to have more control of it, and we're going to be able to make beer more expressive of the farm itself. And, and I think that's the point at the end, is really just to make beer that's more representative of this sunburnt country that we live in. Thank you. <laughs> Um, particularly with fruit that you don't uh, either gash or de-stone or whatever, um, do you press that off at all to sort of increase your yield? No, we haven't done that. And again, that's because our beers are spending so, so much time in re-fermentation that uh, there's not much sugar left. So by pressing, we're just increasing um, potential oxidation. So instead, we're, we're leaving the fruit in there and racking a second beer onto it to get that little bit of extra length from the, from the fruit. And... Uh, do you use any sulfur at all from an antioxidant point of view or whatever? No, we don't. Cool. Stephen? Just over here, Jess. Didn't have to go far. Oh, God, here we yeah, go. A bit of a continuation of that theme. Do you rinse or wash any of your fruit? Are you aware of any uh, agriculturalists, horticulturalists using sprays like calcium or nitrogen sprays close to picking? Yeah, definitely. We speak directly with our farmers about their, um, their spray regimes, and they're not using anything close to picking. Definitely. This is definitely a concern when you're picking strawberries up from the market, uh, just by the way. Strawberries can have a, the shortest amount of time between spray and packaging. Um, so I think it's one of the reasons, anyway, let's knock it on the road. But um, we are talking about it, and the, the sprays are a bit further. And, and again, it's, it's our desire to continue to working away from uh, any kind of raw materials with any kind of herbicides on them whatsoever. Um, but it's a slow process. So um, yeah, definitely a concern. But I, I can't give you the times on every single fruit. We could probably talk about it later. Yeah, yeah. I don't know we don't wash either. Depending on how quickly you can get there, Jess, are we going to sneak one more in? Uh, could you talk a bit about the advantages and disadvantages of adding fruit in primary rather than after primary is finished? Um, clean beer and mixed culture beer. Uh, for me, clean beer, but yeah. <sighs> I think I think we probably need block. to talk about that after. <laughs> yeah, that's a long conversation. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do it there. That yeah, one yeah. For Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, from Wildfowl, Topher Bain. Thanks very much, Topher. Thank you to everyone at home, at work and on the go for listening to this Brewery Pro podcast. If you enjoyed this content, we would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast in your app of choice. This helps listeners in the brewing industry find the show organically. If you have any questions, 
comments or episode ideas or just want to get involved, head to our website, bruisenews.com.au. We love hearing from you all.